What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Welcome everyone to Forward Thinking. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we wanted to talk about something that uh, we think is an interesting subject. It's a bit problematic, but we wanted to talk about vertical farms, what they are, uh, why they might be important, and some of the challenges that we could see if we decide to try and pursue vertical farms as an actual solution. But before we get too far into it, I guess we really need to talk about what exactly is a vertical farm. Uh, really, it's kind of what it sounds like. It's it's a farm that is arranged vertically as opposed to horizontally. So instead of a big uh, farmland... Wide that, open space. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you start uh, stacking it, kind of. Joe, you were talking about it sort of being like, imagine oh. a greenhouse? Yeah, well, I, I, essentially the main idea is you would have a mostly glass structure that allows sunlight to penetrate. And it would be as if you were to take a greenhouse and put a greenhouse on top of it and right. then add another greenhouse and huh. keep building up as far as you can 
go. And the, the main idea is to see if you can create a farm that stretches up towards the sky instead of out in all directions. Right. So you're taking advantage of uh, a vertical alignment so that you don't you don't need as much land to produce crops. Right. And uh, ob- obviously the purpose of this is to fit it within a city, right? Because if you've got plenty of land out in the countryside, why not you use, use it? That. Right. <laughs> Assuming that of course the environmental impact would not be so negative as to actually uh, uh, harm the the production of crops over a certain amount of time. Right. I mean obviously that's something that you have to take into account, but uh, yeah, so so really it's kind of an idea of uh, producing uh, uh, crops, even livestock, uh, within an urban environment so that uh, you aren't draining the resources of all the land around you. Well, yeah, I looked this up. Apparently, according to the USDA, uh, that's the Department of Agriculture, about 51% of the land use in the United States is is agriculture, wow. is farming. Wow. Yeah. And that's a huge number. Right, right. And as populations grow, obviously that that number The need is only going to increase. Right. Sure. So, uh, uh putting aside the the issue of waste, like how much of that food or how much of those crops go toward a, a food source as opposed to for something else, whether it's to feed livestock or to use an energy to feed our cars. Right. <laughs> to right. feed our cars or yeah. that gets exported to feed other people. Right. Once you once you take out those uh, factors and you just look at the food that we need, uh, it still is one of those things where we need to look at solutions besides just uh, just just farms. And could vertical farms be that solution? Um, Joe, what was it that you wanted to say? Well, I guess we need to talk about uh, what are the advantages of a vertical farm? Right. Well, and, and to, to well, the, the version that we're really concentrating on is one that was proposed by uh, Dixon Despomier, who is a Columbia professor. Uh, he kind of posed this question in his class and sort of got to thinking about this vertical farm idea. And, and why would you want that and how, uh, how could it have an advantage over uh, traditional farms? And one of them we already answered, which is that it takes up less real estate. Uh, less horizontal real estate at any rate. Um, so that's that's one advantage right there. Another is the idea of producing your food very close to where the consumers are. Uh, there's a large percentage of the world's population located in urban areas. And that, that number is actually growing. More and more people are moving towards cities. Or you could look at it as cities are sprawling out to slowly envelop and swallow whole all the people. Both, uh, right, yeah, because that's where the jobs are. And, right. That's, uh, yeah, Metro Atlanta, I mean, that's a great example. It's definitely uh, more of a sprawl rather than growing up, which is kind of what we're talking about here is really the concentration is building upward rather than outward. But uh, but that that's one of the big advantages, right, that you have the food where you are, where you need it. Right. If you could make a vertical farm work, and we'll introduce some challenges to that in a few minutes here, but if you could make it work, you would have fresher produce in the city for one thing. I mean, that's just an advance, an advantage in the culinary sphere, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Yeah, that tasty food greens, is a good thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that were picked an hour ago right. before you get them. And that then, may, be, may be on the floor above you. Right, exactly. They came down the elevator. Right. Um, and also, you would have much less transportation cost. And so that's a – we can look at the economics of that in a minute. But uh, one of the things that has concerned people is this idea of food miles, right? Right. How far does your food travel before it gets to you and how much energy is spent taking the food from a farm in 
Kansas or Mexico or Chile or China. Or Southern California. Right. In, any right. of these places to get it to your grocery store. Sure. So we've got the advantage of, of the food being uh, uh, right here. We have the advantage of you don't have to worry about the transportation costs, although we'll, we'll get into that in a second as well. Um, the, the other advantage, not just the, the transportation costs uh, from uh, an economic standpoint, uh, you also have uh, greenhouse gas emissions uh, associated with transportation. You've got toxin emissions associated with that. Uh, now, granted, there are greenhouse gas emissions and toxins uh, that are associated just with the production of food. So sure. you're not going to get right. around that as much as you would uh, the transportation issue. But that's still something that you can take into consideration with the vertical farms. Another potential advantage, uh, at least that I've read about, is the ability to reuse materials, especially mm-hmm. water. Um, there's a lot of water that goes into agricultural production. And one idea that's been floated is that uh-huh. you could re- <laughs> reuse gray water from residential areas oh, wow. uh, or even in a mixed-use building, say, water that comes from the drain in your sink or in your shower, and that goes to water the crops. Right. And then, of course, there's also uh, the fact that you would not necessarily need to use up so much soil. Uh, we were talking before we started recording about the idea of hydroponics. And essentially, hydroponics is uh, growing crops using a nutrient base that does not require actual soil. You don't have to plant the plants in soil. You use this nutrient base, and usually you have the plants uh, suspended in something like they they might have their roots uh, surrounded by uh, a kind of inert gravel or uh, some other uh, uh, item that keeps them upright. Or you could even, in theory, have them suspended as long as you were able to supply the nutrients to the the uh, root systems then you would be able to continue growing them another advantage is the idea that you don't have seasons anymore mm. because if you have a climate controlled vertical farm meaning that you have control over how much light is introduced you have control over the actual temperature mm-hmm. the moisture levels the nutrient levels if you can control all those factors then you could grow crops all year round you wouldn't have a season so right. you wouldn't have to worry like well you know i i want to get okra but it's not in season right and you don't have to worry about the expensive importing oranges from somewhere extremely far away right during, you could grow them right there grow them right there yeah uh, so this all sounds so great, but I'm not seeing them everywhere yet. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder if there are some serious challenges that we would have to overcome in order to implement something like this. There are both serious and humorous challenges to this. Uh, <laughs> no, there are a lot of challenges. One of the big challenges comes down to energy. How much energy do you need to be able to make a vertical farm work. Even when you're talking about conserving water by recycling it as much as possible, uh, even if you're talking about, uh, say, co-location, where you try and put other things that generate heat so that you can use that heat as part of the HVAC system. If you have a server farm next to your food farm, then you can use the heat from one to... Heat the other. the other, right? Yeah. So, like Google headquarters is right next to the the cornfield, right? That wouldn't that or wouldn't the, the corn towers. That, corn actually, t- that actually <laughs> wouldn't surprise me one bit, knowing the way Google works. But uh, and, and in fact, Google does have some of the largest data farms out there. But that's you know that's still that's still just one part of the problem. I mean, the the taller you build the building, the greater your energy needs are to keep that system going. Because right. You know, it's it's water circulation. It's the the heating and cooling. It's the artificial light because right. one of the issues you have is how do you design 
a tall building to take advantage of sunlight because it's yeah. not going to be the sunlight's not going to be evenly distributed across each floor for an entire day. In a horizontal farm, the sun is free, and yeah, it's yeah, it becomes a whole separate problem. Right, and and so when you have a vertical farm, then for it to really work, you're going to have to supplement the light that any one floor gets in some way, whether that is through. Uh, moving the plants around, Mm -hmm. because, Joe, you were talking about a system that was kind of interesting. Well, one thing you've seen in a couple of uh, prototypes is is something like a Ferris wheel. You load the plants up to a a moving tray or cart of some kind, and it it cycles them through with giving them greater access to the light from the roof um, as the day goes on. But, of course, you're still dealing with a problem there that even if you cycle them through – the one they're not getting the constant optimal, right, they're not getting the light that they sure. would get exactly. if you just planted them in the middle of a field. So, mm-hmm. so really, you have to supplement the light in some way, either by moving the plants or by uh, by creating artificial sunlight, mm-hmm. uh, and that means that you're actually expending energy just to give them the energy they normally would get for free if it was in a horizontal farm. So that's that's something that a lot of people have pointed out as a big problem and the idea that it's not energy efficient to build these vertical farms, even if you are talking about supplementing the energy they require with things like solar panels or uh, wind turbines, you're probably not going to generate the energy you need to keep that, that going without it tapping into the power grid. And the question then becomes, is it actually more energy efficient to operate a vertical farm versus uh, a traditional farm? And right. if it's less energy efficient, then why are we doing why it? are we doing it? Right. Especially when you're talking about artificial light. That's the big one, because you're like, this is a this is a resource that is literally free to us mm-hmm. with the traditional setup and it costs us in the vertical setup. So unless we can demonstrate that the benefit we get from the vertical standpoint is greater than the energy expenditure that we, we get using this method, why do we do it? Well, so these concerns are out there, and we know that people have had to think about them before they've invested in prototypes of vertical farms. But so one thing it might help to do is to look at where people have tried to build these things and and see what reasons might have motivated them. Right. Uh, one thing I think we all read about, it, of course, is a, an NPR piece about uh, the uh, the Sky Greens farm, right, in right. Singapore. Right. Of course, Singapore seems like an ideal location for a vertical farm because – I mean, real estate values, it's one of the most densely populated places on Earth, isn't it? Sure, yes. And so, obviously, there's no room in Singapore to really go out and and lay out a Yeah, unless you're going to raise a few buildings, then, yeah, you're not going to build any farms out there horizontally. So, it it may be an issue of there's an economic conflict here. Um, There are great costs to investing in something like this, but in tight enough circumstances, it might pay off. Right, yeah. In certain countries where you either have very little farmable land – that's that's available, mm-hmm. uh, or the seasons just don't don't really um, fall in such a way that makes it easy for you to to grow anything. It might actually make a lot of sense to do vertical farms. Although a lot of people have argued that perhaps the greenhouse route would be as uh, efficient or perhaps more efficient. So apart from the ener- energy barriers that we have here with vertical farms. There may also be economic barriers. Uh, First of all, uh, just building a a vertical farm would require a pretty enormous initial investment. So uh, that 
asking for that can be difficult. And also, if you, it's you'd be taking a risk too, because it's somewhat unproven. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, if you are spending all this money, uh, that also may mean that in order to recapture those costs, that you end up having to charge more for the produce you produce in your the produce you produce within the vertical farm. Right, right. Although you know, at a certain point, is it worth it if you can get a tomato that is incredibly delicious and only have to go upstairs to get it? Is you know, would people pay for that? Right. I mean, if you buy greens that are picked today. People would pay up for that, I think. Well, I mean, yeah. Some, they people say, do to an pay extent. up for that. Some <laughs> people would. They said in that same piece we were talking about, they said in Singapore the, the greens from that uh, vertical farm there would cost 5 to 10% more than standard greens at the grocery store, but people were buying them. Well, it's not bad. I mean, you know, a 5 to 10% increase is, you know, I, I was thinking of some kind of outrageous, like 50, 70% kind of increase in food costs. It, it, was, it, it might would, be that much in other scenarios. Right. Mm-hmm. It would all depend. Sure. And, and, so, <laughs> and so the vertical farms may make a lot more sense in particular communities, you know, where we have these pre-existing conditions. Uh, like, for example, there are islands uh, in the Caribbean where they have really no agriculture whatsoever. Sure. So they import everything. Or there are communities, say, in Alaska that have to, or Hawaii, that have to import a lot of the stuff they use. Uh, and th- those expenses get pretty high because they're, they're in fairly remote areas that's, you know, it's a challenge to get stuff there in a way that's efficient and economically feasible. So it may make perfect sense there. It might yeah. actually offset some of the prices that they're spending on, on certain items right now. Right. If you, even if you live in a place like New York or something like that, or even in Atlanta, it might make sense to target certain crops. For vertical farming. Right. Um, to say, you know, well, we have fairly close access to the corn and the all these other things we Peaches. need. Peaches. Uh, but we really, we, you know, we've got to fly vegetables in from Europe or from South America if we want this special fruit or something like that. Right. So, yeah, if I want my wasabi, I have to fly <laughs> right. it in either from one place in Hawaii or Japan. So in those cases, it, it might make sense yeah. to invest yeah. in... Uh, uh, Urban farming solutions for for yeah things like like grapes that don't grow very well here in this particular yeah that's a terrible example because we totally have wine country in the Georgia hills there's well, wine in them there hills even even so there <laughs> but but the point but the point being that depending upon where in the world you are you may not have access to certain kinds of of, of foods and so if you were to design vertical farms that specifically targeted that then that would be a reason to do so right and this, this also I wanted to mention might uh, kind of go along with I think what is going to need to happen which is a little bit of a change in in perception of food because we're all so used to being able to get whatever we want whenever we want it and if we really want to live in a more energy conservative way um, you know we're not always going to have access to green globe grapes that we can just run down to the store and grab. Um, we might need to start. Your future is dark and frightening, Lauren. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, but you know, but it's but it's not a terrible thing to 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 think more about eating seasonally sure. and and appreciating really good strawberries when you get them versus having terrible cardboard strawberries six months out of the year that cost you five times more than they otherwise would. Well, and also uh, another solution that people could look at for these these problems that we're talking about with these vertical farms, some of them involve just designing buildings differently. Sure. Like instead of, you know, we all have kind of a, a stock image in our minds of what a skyscraper looks like, but some of these vertical farms look a lot different from that image. For example, there are some designs that are tiered in a way so that each level is slightly smaller than the level below it. 
which uh, increases the amount of sunlight the lower levels can receive on any given day. And you know, you orient that building when you build it to such a way so that you get as much sunlight throughout a typical day as you possibly can, and you lower the need for things like that artificial sunlight we were talking about earlier. Of course, then it becomes less like the skyscraper. Right. <laughs> so. right but it's right. still a vertical farm. Right. It's just not in the form it's not necessarily it's more a, vertical yeah it's, it, it's not like a it's not like a multi-use building where you know floors 1 through 15 are residential 16 through 30 are offices and 31 through 50 are farms it's mm-hmm. it's not like that mm-hmm. but uh but it would still be a vertical farm it just might not it might not stretch up 30 stories it may be more like 15 but uh, a, a diagonal farm yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still vertical. Yeah. No, I believe you. <laughs> I can show you pictures. Uh, not an audio podcast, unfortunately. But these are, you know, these are the, the possible solutions we're looking at. And beyond that, there are alternatives. There, you know, we have people work, living in urban areas today who are looking at and or even creating uh, uh, gardening spaces and farming spaces within the city limits. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, you know, lots of park space that is certainly gorgeous, but it can be gorgeous and also have apple trees. You know, it, it doesn't, these things don't, food does not have to be mutually exclusive with urban beauty. Right. And also uh, just, just roof, rooftop gardens or p- small personal gardens on a porch are all terrific ways to get a little bit extra food. There's for... actually quite a few community gardens in the Atlanta area in mm-hmm. particular. In fact, I, I know of three or four that are pretty close to where I live. Now, that can be complicated because depending upon what city you live in, there may be very strict rules Zoning as to issues. what you can mm-hmm. and cannot sure. grow. Uh, but but that's one of those things that could help uh, offset the, the need for going outside the city limits to get your food. Those uh those rooftop gardens have a lot of advantages, don't they? Don't they say that they like cut down on that urban heat island effect? Sure, oh, yeah. yeah. They also, uh, of course, all plants take in carbon dioxide. Uh, so there's that. There's a, a as long as we've got cars is a pretty excellent thing, right? It's a carbon dioxide sink. It may not offset. <laughs> how many gardens would you need? Huh. You know, that, to... That's actually that brings up another criticism I've read about uh, vertical farms and the idea that uh, in in greenhouses and in these vertical farm models. Uh, often you would want to uh, uh, pump in more carbon dioxide than would normally be in a regular mixture of, of atmosphere in an attempt to fe- essentially are feeding the plants, Feed the plant, right? Yeah. yeah, it's like it would be like an oxygen-rich environment for us. Right, so it would be yeah. a carbon dioxide-rich environment for them. And uh, I've said – I've read some uh, some – uh, criticisms that say, well, you know, how do you get the carbon dioxide? And right. one of the common ways is through combustion. You burn something and carbon <laughs> dioxide is, but that just ends up releasing Whoops. other <laughs> elements. Yeah. 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 So, so there, so there are again more problems here, but it's not all, all bad. And, um, and of course, even if we reach the ideal vertical farm, World where it makes perfect sense. Maybe we have some energy surplus for some reason. We've we've cracked that nut, and the energy isn't an issue anymore. So we can we can, depending upon your uh, point of view, invest or waste energy on these vertical yeah, the farms. The fusion reactor is online. Right. Let's build vertical farms. <laughs> right. All we've, the vertical farms. We've, we've harnessed the power of the galaxy itself, and now we're going to have our vertical farms. Gosh darn it! But even if we do that. Uh, 
the numbers really don't add up. You don't. It's really hard to, to envision a world where we have enough vertical farms to offset the need for our food. So it looks well, like it's not just hard; it's kind of impossible, yeah. right? We, there's just a scale problem. We, we would essentially we have to that... replace all of our buildings with vertical farms. So. <laughs> right. And even then, that wouldn't work, right? I mean, what the vertical farming future, if it is a feasible possibility. It's supplemental. It's right. not to replace all of the horizontal farms, agriculture. Right. It, it can't. It can't possibly. Right. So really what we're looking at is a way to kind of offset it a little bit uh, to reduce our reliance upon uh, traditional horizontal farms and thus reduce the impact that we make either through the whole uh, the, the production process, uh, the environmental impact of just clearing out land to make a farm. We can we can definitely take a chunk of that out, which is an important part of conservation oh, yeah. and sustainability, uh, especially if we do things like Lauren, you were mentioning when we were meeting about this earlier. You know, if if we were to, to shift our diets to be more of a vegetable and fruit heavy diet as opposed to eating lots and lots of meat. then Yeah. That... Yeah. It, it takes something like sixteen hundred liters of water to raise a two pound steak. Um, that not even not even a two pound cow. I mean, like a yeah, two like, pound steak. I'm just <laughs> thinking about steak. just nurturing a two pound steak. <laughs> how, uh, how many I'll, big gulps of water is that? That's What's a in? lot. It's a lot of big gulps. Um, yeah, that's that. I mean, obviously, if we were to shift to to a more vegetarian type of diet, not necessarily strictly vegetarian, but but more so, then we would. Uh, we would alleviate require... a lot of the need for that kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And also, yeah, there's probably a lot of crops that are a lot more. I mean, you know, a watermelon is a lot more difficult to grow, for example, than uh, I don't have a good counter example. But watermelons, man, lots of water. Shockingly <laughs> enough. No, seriously. It's, it's right there in the name. Yeah. I would imagine more so than, say, a cucumber. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's 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 an interesting idea. And it's definitely one of those things where you can look at it and you, you see like a artist rendering of what a vertical farm could look like. And you're like, wow, that's a, a super cool building of the future. And also, these are the same sort of uh, techniques that we're looking at as possible ways of helping us get from earth to some distant planet. I mean, these oh, are right. these growing techniques, these these things that we have to take into consideration just to grow plants here on earth in urban settings could eventually inform us in our quest to get off this rock and visit other planets. Uh, so, you know, it's it's definitely got its use. And we don't mean to downplay the importance of vertical farms. It may very well be that one day they are a common sight in any major metropolitan area. But but there are issues that we definitely need to take into consideration and acknowledge before we jump right in. Well, we know it's not a sure thing yet. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not a good idea to keep trying. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Trying at things that are hard or even seem impossible is how we... Innovate. Make improvements, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and if nothing else, even if we eventually get to the conclusion that vertical farms are not not a, a viable uh, way to go, we could learn that there are other uh, – uh, through that process, we could learn other things that improve growing in, uh, in, in traditional farms. Or even if we just say, okay, maybe we don't make vertical farms, but we do make more greenhouses within urban areas to help uh, with this issue, uh, you know – no matter what, we learn through that process. So like like you were saying, Joe, it's definitely a positive thing in the long run. It just might be a little longer than what everyone was hoping for. That's okay. That's what the future is for. 
got we get nothing there. but the future. That's it. The future is everywhere. It is. So anyway, uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you are enjoying the uh, the podcast, the video series. Uh, remember, we have blogs at fwthinking.com that you can go and check out. We, we write about stuff that relates to the podcast. We also write about other topics that we don't really touch on in either the series or the podcast. So I highly recommend you check that out. And follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Google+. Let us know what you are interested in. We definitely want to tackle those futuristic topics that, that are just gnawing at your brain. You've got to know how is it going to turn out. We want to hear from you. So get in touch with us, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.